Psalm 1. We studied that psalm a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're moving now into our third week of this series, um, Grounded in the Psalms. And uh, so uh, I think that two weeks ago, we had a bit of a, um, oh, I don't know, rebuke or correction about the Word of God. And are we getting the Word of God into us? And are we getting ourselves into the Word of God so that we're getting stronger in our faith and our walk with the Lord? Last week was a week of comfort, I think. While we're in the waiting room, waiting for things to happen, we've got prayer requests out there, we haven't seen the answers to those prayers. While we're in the waiting room, how do we trust the Lord? It was a psalm of great comfort last week of trusting in the presence of our living God with us. And this week, we're coming to another psalm, Psalm 95, which is a psalm about worship. And I think it's a psalm of instruction, helping us to know uh, better how to really worship our Lord. So um, I want to I pray uh, just now, and then we're going to read the scripture, and we're going to get into this text. Just before I pray, let me... Um, say a couple of things. The, the building renovation is coming, as you can see. It's quite exciting. There are going to be some messes here over the next number of weeks as things come down. And this, there will be places in this building that are literally a church without walls over the next few weeks as the renovation happens. So be prepared for that. Um, a second thing is this. Over the summertime, what we like to do is to... Uh, those teachers who have been teaching the kids all, all year along, we like to give them a break over the summertime. So we're asking you, actually, to step up, and there are some people who are doing that today, who are helping to care for the kids during this hour um, through the summer. So if you would consider this, um, speak to Kayla or call the church sometime this week. Kayla's back here and is caring for uh, this area of ministry at the church. And so uh, if you could help care for the children uh, and help out with that, one of the Sundays this summer, that would just be marvelous. And then um, I also want to say this, that uh, Jefferson, who gave the announcement here just a minute ago, with all of his energy, usual energy, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned that he's stepping down from the role of youth pastor here. The Lord has opened up another opportunity for him. And God has made it clear that he should be taking that other opportunity in Hamilton. Um, but what's happened this week is that Ryan Allison, who's been, um, is this a piece of good news or what? That Ryan has uh, heard, I think, the call of God upon his life to step up into that role and a part-time position, even as he continues on with his work and plans to get married this year. So what do you do in your, in your spare time? <laughs> but I, I'm looking for Ryan right now, and I don't see him. I see the heads going, no, nah, not today. Okay. But anyway, we're just delighted with this. All I'm trying to say is, when change happens, God does not leave us. God is still at work here. God is on the move. And so there's every reason to continue to be encouraged. And I want to ask you to pray, keep praying 
for the ministry that the Lord's doing, the, the mission that God has put us on as a church here at Forest View. So this week again coming up is a camp week at church. The place is going to be filled with a whole ton of kids from the neighborhood again as it was two weeks ago. Pray that God will work beautifully in the lives of these kids as some of them hear the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just grateful to be here this morning. I thank you for the freedom of our country to be able to do this openly and with great joy. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing here at Forest View and the fact that you are our great God and we worship you. We thank you, uh, Lord, that the, the search team has been meeting and the, um, the leadership team, the elders, have uh, met with a couple of people and we're praying, Lord, for your wisdom to find the, uh, the next lead pastor for Forest View to lead us ahead into the next chapter of fruitful, beautiful ministry and mission for your honor and glory. And thank you, Lord, for Ryan uh, stepping up to help with the youth ministry in the coming uh, year. So, Lord, so many things. And here we are, all of us today. All of us have stuff on our hearts. Uh, some of us good weeks. Some of us tough weeks. We ask that you'll meet us exactly where we are, Lord. You're the one, you're the only one who actually knows all the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So we ask you to speak with us this morning through your Holy Spirit and through your word. And in the mystery of your Holy Spirit, would you do work in our hearts and lives that only you know. We give ourselves to your care in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, today we're doing a psalm that actually talks about worship, and I don't know if you've heard about different forms of worship. If I were to put a microphone in your face today and say, what do you think worship is? I bet we get a whole bunch of different ideas. I don't know if you know, but there are some churches in the States that are snake-handling churches. Have you ever heard of that? In the very last chapter of Mark, there's a verse that says that um, in the coming times, people will handle snakes and they will not bite them or injure them. And so that's a disputed passage. It's that those verses are not in the earliest and the best of the manuscripts. But anyway, these people take that literally and that verse comes slithering out of its context and they actually handle snakes in their services, and they call that a form of worship. Kind of freaks me out. So I heard a story of a guy who went to visit a church like that, and as he was sitting there, he saw that the, the snake, this big rattlesnake was being passed back and forth along like this, and uh, he was just a visitor. So he said to the person beside him, he said, he looked around to see the back door. He said, uh, he didn't see a back door. And he said, uh, excuse me, sir, can you tell me where the back door is? And the guy said, we don't got one. And the visitor said, where would you like one? <laughs> um, <laughs> that is a very weird kind of worship. And is it not a lesson to us to not take any text out of Scripture and make it something that it's really not? What we know is that Paul, Saul who became Paul, one time was bitten by a snake and he shook the snake off 
It was a poisonous snake, and he wasn't injured. We know that God did that, but that's not a form of worship. <laughs> Would you agree? Um, some strange things have happened in the name of worship. The Evangelical Dictionary of Worship, of theology, says this. Our English word worship means worth-ship. To worship God is to declare that he is worth everything. He is worthy of all of our worship. We talk about his worthiness to receive special honor and to be lifted up above all others because that's just what we've been singing. His name is above all other names. And we were built for worship, to focus on the living God. And all of us think, I, I think, of worship from our own point of view, from the human point of view. But I wanted to give us some verses up here this morning to start that give us a different perspective on worship. This is from God's point of view. So let's look at this first of all. This comes from John chapter 4. This is a story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Do you remember that? And in the context of that story, this is, she raises the topic of worship, and this is what Jesus says. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit or in the spirit and in truth. Look at the, the third line of the top uh, little part. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I'd like you to note that... Um, it's worshipers that God is seeking, not so much worship. God is seeking for people to be in relationship with him, to connect with him. It's worshipers that God is seeking for. So the question is, what is the Father seeking? This is called the divine quest. Is God seeking for anything? God is seeking worshipers. Sometimes we think that God wants our worship. Um, he wants what we can give him, we think this. But how can we give God anything? Does he need anything? He's totally self-sufficient. God is no, not so much seeking our worship as he is seeking worshipers. He's seeking us. He's seeking people coming to him in personal relationship and loving him. So it's not so much what he can give us, but it's, it's, sorry, it's not so much what we can give him, it's really what he wants to give us. I think I could put it this way, that when we worship the Lord, and we've just been worshiping him in song, when we worship the Lord, it's like we, we begin to open up our hearts to him. And as we open up our hearts to him, God loves to give us gifts and blessings and to strengthen us and encourage us. And worship is one of these activities that helps to open us up so we can receive more of the Lord himself. Scripture says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And it's like when we praise him and worship him, God comes and he meets us here. It's a beautiful, it's really a beautiful thing. So there's one other verse that I want to read here just for a moment. It's from 2 Chronicles 16 and 9. And it says this, For the eyes of the Lord range to and fro 
across the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Some of you will know that verse. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range to and fro across the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. We're, we're really coming to the issue of the heart. How are our hearts? And the way I picture it this morning, I think of God, through his spirit, looking up and down these rows, to and fro, up and down these rows on this side, asking, well, how's your heart today? How's your heart towards the living God? And I see God going up and down these rows, to and fro, across the whole place, asking, how's your heart? Have you got any gods before the living God? And the Holy Spirit going up and down these rows on this side, asking, how's your heart do you love me more than other things? How's your heart? A heart of worship. That brings us then to the psalm that we're looking at today because it's a psalm of faith and a thankful heart. And Psalm 95 is an introduction uh, to worship God and to give thanks to God. But there's also a warning at the end of this psalm. So if you would, stand with me and let's consider this whole business of worshiping our God and let's read this together, if you would, please. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Well, thanks. Be seated. The first thing that I see as we look at this psalm is that there's a call here to rejoice in the Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. This worship that is called for here is uh, collective worship. This is us getting together as we're doing this morning to worship him four times in the first couple of verses. It says, let us do this. Let us gather together. Let us worship. Now, worship can be done privately, true? But there's something very special about this corporate kind of worship when we all gather together like this today. Now, those who claim to be able to worship God 
just as easily from a secluded spot on a lake with a fishing pole on their hand or from a, a fairway on a golf course with a golf club in their hand. Um, they're missing this kind of worship, this corporate kind of worship. Now, at the same time, let me say this. I have enjoyed some wonderful times of worship on a secluded lake, fishing, and you catch the big one and you thank the Lord as you're pulling it out. Or on a golf course when you hit a really good shot and you say, there is a God. <laughs> but this psalm is talking about us gathering together like this for collective worship. Let us gather together and worship the Lord God. Something special happens when we gather together in the name of the name that's above every other name, the higher name of Jesus. So, anyway, um, we worship corporately. Hebrews 10, 25 says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but... Let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. This is an encouragement to us to continue to meet together, as we do here, corporately, on a Sunday morning, and in our small groups and other things. So let me put it this way. Your very presence here today is an act of worship to God. Do you know that? The fact you got up this morning, you had other options, you came here to worship the Lord God. That is an act of worship, just being here. Just your presence can be a testimony to other people. The cars in the parking lot out here, as people walk, go by on a Sunday morning and say, you know, what are those people doing over there? Church without walls. Oh, people worshiping God today, eh? It's a witness. And you parents, as you bring your kids to church on Sunday mornings like this, you're letting them know God is absolutely worth it. He is worthy. This is worship. He is above all. And, and not only our presence here, but our participation also is an act of worship. However you participate here, that is an act of worship. It's our attitude as we come. Um, as we come, we have expectant hearts. Lord, what are you going to teach me today? What, what, do you, what do I need to know in order to live my life more to honor you? Um, so we really focus on the songs and we focus on the sermon and the reading of the word. And when we pray, we join in in prayer. And when we sing, we really sing. And when we listen, we listen hard because our attitude affects others. One author puts it this way. A guy turns his head to joke or gaze at his girlfriend and he washes worship down the drain for 20 people sitting behind him. But if that same guy turns to her and nods in affirmation to a point in the sermon, 20 hearts behind beat faster. Our body language communicates what we're doing here and how our heart attitude is towards the Lord. Our participation really affects other people. So I'm starting off today by saying, Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you for coming to worship the God who is above all gods. Thank you for being here. The second thing we see is that this worship promoted here is a vocal worship. 
Uh, oh, let's go back one. Okay, there are a couple other things. There's vocal worship. There are times for us to be still and know that we're God, that know that God is God. But when we're gathered together like this, this is a time for vocal worship, for us to sing and to raise our voices. The third thing I would see here is that the, the worship that's uh, talked about here is vigorous and vibrant. The, the words that are used in the passage here, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Um, these are vigorous words. And um, the words that are used are probably more appropriate for most of us. That the kind of stuff we do in a hockey rink or when the Raptors score a three-pointer. Yeah, <laughs> you know how it is. Let us shout. Let us raise our voices. So I know that there are extremes to worship. Would you be with me? There, there are some, you know, there's the absolute, like, absolute silence in worship. And there are some churches that do that. They have no music. They have none of that. They just sit silently. And there are others that are so loud and raucous and wild, you just almost get lost in that. But I would say that if we have um, one side or the other here at Forest View, it might be that we're more on the conservative side of just not moving very much or not lifting our hands very much or not getting too excited. Are you with me? I'm not criticizing you. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think this is where, where we default to over here. And sometimes it's a lovely thing to just belt it out, praise to the living God, because he's worth it. He is absolutely worthy. Now, let me put it this way. When I look around, I see the joy of the Lord in your faces and in your hearts and lives. And you don't have to go dancing to try to prove that. <laughs> but I want to encourage you just to be exuberant, joyful in your love for the Lord, to express that really well with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, let's move on. The next point is this, that uh, this worship that comes here is from a thankful heart. And here he says in verse 2, let us come before him with thanksgiving and install him with music and song. A thankful heart. Hmm. How good is God to give us so much? We live in one of the most wonderful countries in the whole world. We have so much to be thankful for. And there's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, which says this, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? This is like the, the fountain of a thankful heart. To realize that everything we have is a gift from God. It's been given to us by God. So let us count our blessings. We used to sing this song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings. I can't remember the rest of the song, but that's not bad, right? It lifts our hearts when we count our blessings and we're thankful. Do you have a job? Who's given you the ability to actually do that job and to do it well? Do you have an education? Who gave you the brains to actually work your way through school and to, and to get this level of education? Do you have food 
and clothing and a place to stay and transportation? Who has given us all these things? Who's provided us with all these things? Do you have anybody who actually cares for you in your life? Who is it who gives us friendships and relationships like this? They're all gifts from the living God. And do you know Jesus in a personal way? What an incredible gift this is to us, to know the living God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to reveal a little bit about myself right now, if you don't mind. Okay, uh, You can check this out with Ruth later to see if it's really accurate. I went through a very, very tough segment of my life where um, I was struggling with who I was and what I was doing and how I was doing and where we were as a family. And I think it probably verged on depression. And I was not a happy person, and I was not an easy person to live with. You can check with my better half over here. Um, and, you know, as I was going through this, I found that actually I was coveting. We didn't have much money. I was coveting people who had more. I was assuming that their life was easier than the life that I was living at the time. And I was not a happy person. As one of my friends said, I was lower than a snake's belly. So in this time of being depressed and really kind of struggling, I came across this notion of the, the discipline or the spiritual practice of giving thanks on a regular basis. And the whole idea of giving thanks is to regularly, the spiritual discipline of giving thanks is to regularly, thoughtfully, consider God's goodness and provision and then to write it down and to pray it back to God. Does that make sense? So to regularly and thoughtfully consider what God has given and to write it down, so I was journaling, and then to pray it back to God. Thank you, God, for this as I, after I've written it down. And as I was doing that, I was on my regular Bible reading plan, reading through the scriptures, on a regular basis, and um, the more I read, the more I saw thanksgiving scattered all throughout the Bible. So, for example, uh, the, the whole passage in Ephesians 5 about being filled up with the Holy Spirit, um, right in the middle of that, part of being filled up with the Holy Spirit is to always give thanks to God in every situation, give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. So in other words, I couldn't be filled up with the Holy Spirit if I wasn't practicing a thankful heart. Does this make sense at all? I'd just be blocking some of what God wanted to do in my life. So I read again in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we think, oh, what's God's will for me? Who am I going to marry? And what school do I go to? And what job do I change to? And, but this is definitely God's will for us to, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I was thinking, I'm not really doing God's will because I'm more complaining than I am giving thanks. And so I wondered as I kept reading, I saw Paul and Silas in jail singing and giving thanks to God. 
Now, I don't know if I'd be singing and giving thanks to God if I was in jail. You know what I'm talking about? Falsely accused and so on. And some of you know what it's like to be falsely accused. And, and yet here they are. And then I read Philippians 4, 6, and many, old, many of you will know this verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. With thanksgiving is right in the middle of this thing. Giving thanks. And then I was reading in Daniel. So if you think this is too many illustrations, just this is the last one for this. I'm reading in Daniel, and I come to Daniel chapter 6, and I read that this is the day he's going to go to the lions. He's found out that his The buddies that he works with have double-crossed him, and so he's supposed to be thrown to the lions tonight. And you know what Daniel 6, 10 says? Here he is, he's just got news, he's going to the lions tonight. Daniel 6, 10 says, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. How is he going to give thanks when he knows he's going to be dinner for the lions tonight? The rest of the verse helps us understand this. Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And I stopped and I looked at that verse. I said, you know what? This practice of regularly giving thanks to God is going to be one of the most important things that I can do in my life, in my walk with the Lord. To count my blessings over and over and over again. Not move to the complaining side or the pity me side or the pity pot or whatever you want to call that thing over there, but to give thanks to God for what I have. And I might just say that this discipline, this practice has been a lifesaver for me. It really has. And that's why I thought we needed to stop and camp on this this morning as we look at this verse, that we come to the Lord. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Now, one maybe last thing here. Um, And that is, this might just sound a little bit too simplistic. Ah, you're having a time of depression, whatever, just give thanks to God and everything's going to be all better. One of our daughters, her name is Nan, she was going through a very difficult time and a real deep struggle. And we were talking together, and she said, I'm just, so, I'm just so down, I'm so depressed. And I said, well, Nan, have you tried giving thanks to God as part of your spiritual discipline? And she said, Dad, you can hear it in her voice, right? Dad, I just can't see anything in my life right now to give thanks to God for. That's how dark and clouded her thinking was at that moment. And I'll bet there's more than one person here this morning who knows exactly what that's like. When you're locked into a negative thinking and a deep depression, there's no magic fix to get out. But I want to say this, that when we cultivate the habit of giving thanks to God, on a regular basis, this is a very strong preventative measure to help keep us from sinking that low. And even when we're sinking that low, if we 
keep coming back to Jesus with a thankful heart, we find that underneath our feet, as we figure, as we feel like we're sinking down into the mud, we find underneath us, there's a solid rock. Because it's on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I believe today, God is recommending to every one of us to pick up this discipline, this practice of regularly, thoughtfully, giving thanks to God daily if you can. Write it down. And I would say in four categories, because this is what was helpful for me anyway, was material blessings. What do I have? Huh, we have a house. We have a couple of cars, a couple of cars we've got. And on and on you go. We've got food and clothing. Um, material things, relational blessings. So I would write down the names of some of my friends, people that if I was struggling with something, they would help me, I know. And thanking God for them. Third thing is spiritual blessings. Maybe that should be number one. That the God of the universe actually loves me and has welcomed me into his family. This is amazing. That Christ gave his life for me. How thankful that he rose again with great power and is still alive today to help me. That the Holy Spirit, he's given his Holy Spirit to me and given me gifts through the Holy Spirit so that I can serve. So to give thanks for all those things, and then the fourth category is answered prayer. Physical blessings, material blessings, relational blessings, uh, spiritual blessings, and answered prayer. And I tell you, it lifts the spirit to do this. Now, you're thinking, boy, we've spent a lot of time on this and there's a whole bunch more of the psalm to go. So let's move through it real fast, shall we? The next thing that we see here is that um, this worship is very God-centered. So when we come to worship, it's not about us and how we feel and all this kind of stuff. It's to focus on the goodness of God, the greatness of our God. The world is his. He's the great God, the great king above all gods. Now, I think we talked about this a bit last week, so we'll move on to the next point really fast, but there's so much more we could say here. He's the creator of all, to consider the fact that with his word, he created everything. What a powerful and wonderful God we have, and he's the one that we worship and focus on. Uh, the mountain peaks, the sea is his, for he made it Oh, just wanted to say a few uh, years ago that Ruth and I had the chance to be uh, camping out in the Rocky Mountains. And actually, we were at um, uh, I'm trying to remember where we were, the Jasper. And we almost froze half to death the first night we were there camping in this tent. But we had the chance to go up that mountain that is there where you take the ca cable car halfway up and then you hike the rest of the way. And when we were up there, were we able to look way down this big, uh, you know, all the mountains going down that way and seeing the tallest peak, which I think is 4,000 meters or something like that. But anyway, we're, we're here and it's snow-capped and we're just looking around. It's just gorgeous and wonderful. And... Nobody goes to the mountains and stands there and says, I am amazing. I am awesome. Nobody does that because the mountains make us feel small, right? Because somehow we realize there's something way, way bigger than we are. And when we think of the creation, 
God is so big, he's so great, he's so wonderful. He's worthy of our worship indeed. So anyway, he's the God of all creation. And what else is here coming up? He's the creator of all. God calls us to awe and reverence. So the next couple of verses are about sort of a, a quieter kind of worship. Let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he's our God. He's not just the God who made the whole universe. He's our shepherd. Do you see it? He's our caregiver. We are the people of his pasture. We're the flock under his care. You could meditate on that for a long time, that the amazing, mighty God of the whole universe knows you and considers you precious and is watching over you and caring for you. So it brings us to the last part, and that is the warning. And the warning here is this, about the hardening of hearts. Uh, Masa and Meribah, you can read about this in the Old Testament, and, um, and, and you can see there that this is where the people of Israel hardened their hearts against God. They complained against their leaders. They complained against God. They complained against all of their circumstances, and they hardened their hearts. And that's when God said, this generation's not going to go into the promised land. And they didn't. It's a warning about our hearts. And it's our hearts above all. Proverbs says, watch your heart above all. Guard your heart. Because when our hearts close down and our hearts get hard, we forfeit the blessings that God wants to give us. But when we worship him and open up our hearts, God is here to speak with us and to meet us in the midst of wherever we are. So that's why the warning is there. One last point. Sometimes we may think that worship is just what we do at church. We come, we sing, we worship, and so on. But really, worship is not just singing in church. It's our whole life. So I read to you these verses from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper what? Worship. As we live for him day by day and not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. As we present our bodies to him and everything we do, we're going to work today and we say, you know what, Lord? Help me to worship you in the way I work today. Help me to give my best and, and, to, and to bless others. You remember the bells thing we were talking about last month? Bless others. Eat with others. Listen to the Holy Spirit uh, learn more about Jesus and see ourselves as a sent people. As we do this more and more, our lives become an act of worship everywhere we go and everything we do. And here's what I've found. There's a cycle. As I spend more time with the Lord and more time in corporate worship, I find God showing up more in my everyday life at other places outside. You with me? As, as, as we come to know the Lord and worship him privately and corporately, we find him showing up all over the place in our public world. I want to uh, encourage you 
to worship the Lord. He loves you deeply. He cares about your life. And he's absolutely worthy of all of our worship, not just when we gather together, although this is really important, but every day as we go out into the world, we're a blessing to others, we're spending time with others, we want to make a difference to the lives of others, our lives are an act of worship to the living God. Let's pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful truth from the Psalms. Understanding that even when this was written, they didn't know about Jesus yet. They didn't know about the one who would come and take all of our sins upon himself and give us forgiveness so freely and give us a fresh purpose for our life. We have so much reason to give you thanks, Lord God, because you are amazing and wonderful. So as we prepare our hearts just now to eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we remember that this is called the Eucharist, the time of thanksgiving, that we worship you, Lord Jesus, as we eat the bread and drink the cup. We remember your body was broken for us, your blood was poured out for us, so that our sins could be forgiven and washed away, and your purposes could begin to come true for our lives. We could kind, find the kind of life that you desire for us to have. So would you help us now as we worship you through this act of eating the bread and drinking the cup and celebrating what you've done for us, Lord. May we be renewed in our thanksgiving and in our devotion to you because you want to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to you. Here we are, Lord. Thanks for your love. We love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing, and we're also going to take communion together. And we're going to take communion from various sites, again, as we have in the last few weeks, a couple of places at the back and a couple of places at the front. And when you're ready, come and take the bread, take the cup, and worship the Lord together. God bless you.